God's word this morning. God, we, uh, we acknowledge that uh, this moment in time um, that we live in two worlds. We live in a physical world where we can see and feel and touch and hear. But we also live, and you've made us to live, uh, coexistent in an invisible world where sometimes we see and sometimes we hear and sometimes we feel, but we want to grow in our ability to see and hear and feel. And uh, so in that sense, would you help us hear what you're saying to us today, what your spirit is saying to us? Would you help you see uh, what your spirit is showing us? And would you help us uh, feel your presence around us, not just this time and place, but throughout the week, throughout our ordinary daily lives. We want to be people who live from the invisible world and bring your life and love and power into the world we live in physically. And we want to be those kind of ambassadors for you. So as we look into your word, will you help us be those kind of ambassadors? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, in the spirit of uh, having some elementary kids here this morning, um, I, want to, I want to know, by raise of hand, who is an avid Wii player? The game Wii. Who's an avid player playing Wii? <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, uh, okay, I see. Hold on, hold on. Okay. Right now, what's your first name? Joshua. Joshua. Am I turned on here? Joshua? Is on? <laughs> oh, had it on mute. My bad, Joshua. Joshua. Stand up, Joshua. Joshua. Joshua, stand up. Stand up. Stand up. What's your favorite Wii game? Hmm. <laughs> Too many bowling. to choose from. Bowling? bowling. Now, how do you know if you're getting better in bowling? How do you know? If you have another player, you could see if you beat it. The, the other person or not. Okay, so you want to see if you beat the other person. Now, are you getting better in bowling? Mm, my brother is. Your brother is. <laughs> Can you beat your dad? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So you know you're getting better if your score gets better, right? All right, Joshua, right? Thanks, Joshua. All right. Uh, how about, how about, um, how about, a, I never played this game before. How about an Angry Bird player? Okay, right here. First name? Aaron. Aaron, Aaron McMorrin. Um, if you don't understand the game Angry Birds, I don't either, so you have to ask Aaron or somebody afterwards or some of the adult children that are here. Uh, how do you know if you're getting better at Angry Birds? If you get a, if you get a better score. Okay, are you, are you better than your sister? No. No, okay, so she, she has a higher, what's, what's like your high score? I don't know what a high score is. Sure. You're not sure? Do you play it a lot? Do your parents know you play it a lot? Just <laughs> <laughs> but you're, so you know you're doing better because you score higher? Yes. All right, very good. All right. Um, one other, I'm, I'm just going to pick on him. Keaton Hendricks. Oh. Keaton plays <laughs> basketball. Stand up. What was the halftime score last night in your basketball game? Were you ahead or behind? Ahead. <laughs> he played the whole game. He doesn't know. Okay. Uh, yes, he had, he had scored a lot of points. But uh, how do you know if you're getting better in basketball? How do you know? How do you know if you're getting better in basketball? 
Because um, your dad tells you so? <laughs> no. Yeah, and if your team's winning. Okay, so you know because there's statistics that tell you that. Yeah. All right, ask Keaton about his game last night. He had a good game last night. Now, whether it's uh, Angry Birds, Wii games, Xbox games, basketball, stock market, IU basketball, whatever it is, there are a lot of ways we measure or respond to the question, how am I doing? You know you're getting better at some of these games because you score more points. Although I suppose in golf it's just the opposite, the less you. But there's still there's some measurement of how you're doing. And we like those kind of games. I mean, my guess is if you're an avid Wii player or an Xbox player, an Angry Bird player, a basketball player, to some degree you measure your own success, if I'll use that word, by your improvement. That if you're doing better. I mean, if you do worse and worse and worse, like I do when I play my kids in the Wii game, I just quit. I don't play anymore because I get dizzy. I mean, it's just kind of, I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? You, you, you keep going and you keep trying harder when you see some kind of a measurable improvement. Obvious kind of connection here or sense is... Sometimes what's frustrating about being a follower of Jesus is it's not always easy to figure out how to measure my improvement. You know, we, we keep playing the game, so to speak. It's not a game. I'm not I, following Jesus in the game, but you know what I'm saying? We keep going through the motions, but to some degree what will motivate you and I to keep going is when we see some kind of progress, when we see some kind of growth, there's not a little scoreboard up in the corner of your Bible that God's showing you whether you're kind of maxing out and beating your sister in points or whatever. Sometimes we kind of play that game where we try to beat somebody else in Christian behavior or whatever. But what's frustrating is, at times, is we don't always know how we're doing, and then we don't even know how we're supposed to know how we're doing. Again, with Wii games, Angry Bird, basketball, stock market, whatever, there's all kinds of ways we measure and can determine success. Um, how do you know if you're doing okay? As a, as a follower of Jesus, I was, we, had a, we have a staff team meeting every week, and I just I asked, How do we know if we're doing okay as a church? Because you have a lot of people, because you sing loudly, because you sing the coolest music. How do you know? How do you know? How do we know if we're being the kind of people Jesus asks us to be? Um, what we've done the last few months, and actually today is the last day, so it's kind of tying it all together is looking at the Thursday night passage in the Gospel of John. So it's the night that Jesus ate with his disciples, the Passover meal, the annual religious meal. And then he spent a long time talking to them at the meal, praying for them at the meal. And then after the end of chapter 17, which we stop, that's where we're going to stop, but chapter 18 starts with him leaving the meal. They go to the olive grove where he gets arrested, and that's from once he gets arrested, he gets tortured and brutalized and murdered, and then he rises again a few days later. But this whole Thursday night, it's, you know, five chapters, and in the past I liken it to kind of the pregame talk or the, the speech that Eisenhower gave to the troops before D-Day. It's this, it's this sense of everything that's important for me to say, I'm going to say it to you right now. So what I want to do in, in the next few moments is to look at some of the, some of the one-liners we've looked at that Jesus said. And I want, to start us, I want to start for you and for me asking, how do we know if we're doing well on these things? Because Jesus, these are things that are obviously very important to Jesus. 
And how do we know if we're getting better? Because sometimes, if you're like me, sometimes not knowing if I'm even making an improvement becomes very demotivating because I don't know if I'm even doing the right things. All right? So let me just go through a handful of statements that Jesus made and just kind of pose a few questions, and then I'll have some other larger questions toward the middle here. But he starts off, one of the things Jesus said is you ought to wash one another's feet. He washes the feet of the disciples during this meal, which, again, unheard of. That's the only that low-life slaves do. And um, one of the questions I asked during that week, which was a few months ago, was, Who's, whose dirty feet may Jesus be asking you to wash? Who are you, who are you to be serving that you'd maybe rather not serve that really isn't your role? And do you see yourself growing in the ability to see those situations? All right, another line. Jesus says, love one another. Actually, he says this a bunch of times. Love one another, love one another, love one another. And uh, that particular week I talked about who are the people that are difficult for you to love? And often we kind of hear that as, who are the difficult people for me to love? But I moved the words around because I said the challenge is, who are the people that are difficult for you to love? Not, it's easy to say, well, they're difficult. That's why I don't love them. As opposed to, it's just difficult for me to love them. And when I say people difficult for you to love, every one of us pretty quickly could pop up a few pictures on our screens. And again, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with looking for opportunities to serve? How are you doing with loving people that you find really difficult to love? Next, another thing he says, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. And what I've written, when I was working on this this week in my notes, I wrote, am I asking for anything? I mean, Jesus says, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. But I'll just challenge you, and I'll challenge myself as well. What am I at? What are you asking for right now? Or you just kind of have what this fatalistic passive view of Christian life, and well, whatever happens will happen, so I'm not going to ask anything. Are you asking for anything in any kind of boldness? Are you asking for anything that you think is way outside of the possibility of what God can do? Or have you, like I have at times in my life, just settled into kind of a cruise control version of prayer where I don't really ask for anything, or at least not anything that I think is too big because I don't want to get disappointed if God doesn't do it the way I want him to. So I might ask for nice weather on a given day, but if God doesn't pull through, it's not a big deal. But I might not ask for this person I know to become a follower of Jesus who seems very far from God because that just seems like a pretty monumental, maybe impossible task for God, and I'd rather not be disappointed, so I don't ask. But Jesus said that. Ask for anything in my name, and I'll do it. Anything. So again, how are you doing with that? Now another statement. If you love me, obey my commandments. Pretty straightforward. But again... Is there a certain area of your life that you clearly are just resisting God in? Maybe it's a small thing. Maybe it's something that God has told you not to do anymore. That maybe isn't a you know, big statement of Scripture, but something that you know you're resisting God on. How are you doing with that? Please understand, my point here is not to make us all feel guilty and bad and like we're failures. Uh, I'll explain that later. But, I, but if you're like me, you kind of go through this list like, well, I might give myself, I don't know, maybe a C minus in that one, maybe a B minus, uh, whatever. Next one. Jesus says this, the Spirit will tell you 
whatever he receives from me. So it seems like Jesus is assuming, and he says this a number of times, is assuming that we're going to have regular communication from the Holy Spirit. There's that Jesus will regularly be in communication and that through the Holy Spirit we'll sense what God's saying to us. And he wasn't talking to these super spiritual elite. He was talking to these 12 ordinary guys, some of them uneducated, non, non-religious people. But he was saying that this would be kind of the norm of their life. The Spirit's going to tell you what he, whatever I tell him to tell you. And this dynamic relationship was going to be a reality of your life. This dynamic, everyday relationship of hearing God speak to me and knowing what I'm supposed to be doing in certain situations. Not like a robot, but where the Holy Spirit really is what Jesus calls him the advocate for me. All right? Another statement. uh, You will have abundant joy. Now, on this one, if I had an abundant joy meter up there from 1 to 10, where 10 meant abundant joy, and you could define abundant joy in the way that you would perceive it, my guess is... Most of us, if we graph the last week, month, a year of our life, we might be lucky to go above a five. Maybe. And Jesus seemed to talk a lot about joy and abundant joy. But if you ask a lot of non-church people their opinion of Christians, my guess is joyful would not be one of the first ten terms they use. But Jesus seemed to think that was a big deal. And that went out and just a big deal but to be something that will, he says, you will have abundant joy. Not hope for it, not you'll get it every once in a while, not um, you'll have a little bit of pleasant happiness once in a while, like a piece of chocolate cake, but don't expect anything more than that. He says, you'll have abundant joy. And if you measure yourself, if I look at, measure myself on that standard of how I'm doing, it's like, I, I don't know, maybe I should, it's frustrating here because I'm not really experienced the joy that I feel think Jesus is talking about. Now, you and I all know people that can, and we can do this too, we can fake it. Hey, I'm really happy in Jesus, I really hate my life. You know, that kind of a thing. The kind of what I call the plastic smile Christianity, where there's a perception everything's okay, but you know and I know that they're not being honest, and maybe you're not being honest with those things. Another statement. Jesus says, they will persecute you. Now, this is the one that if we had our choice, we'd rather just scratch that off the list. Because that's not the... Fo- and, th- and, and keep in mind, these are things Jesus is saying, kind of his last charge to the troops. I mean, he spoke to them again after his resurrection. They will persecute you. And on this one, I'm not saying measure yourself by how many, persecution, how many persecuting events you've experienced in the last week or two weeks. But measure yourself on what if... I had to walk down that road in the degree that a lot of men and women throughout history have, would I still follow Jesus if I had to walk down the road of the book of Acts that some of those men and women did or that pastors in China or Christians in India do today? How, would I, how am I doing there? So, you know, there's all these statements I've put up here and ways to kind of measure. I'm going to put up there two, I'm going to put up now just two questions. I'll go to the next slide. How you, how I, two questions that I was uh, a, a favorite author of mine. He's kind of a mentor via his books that he writes. This guy named Dallas Willard. Somebody asked him, and he's probably 70, 70 years old now. They said, how do, you, how do you know if you're doing well spiritually? And he said, there's two questions I, I ask myself. And, they, and, and you'll see in a second, they relate to the things we just talked about. Two questions I ask myself. One of them is this, question one. Am I growing more or less easily irritated? This is a 70-year-old man writes this. 
Am I growing more or less easily irritated? Now think about this for a second. Jesus says, love one another. If I'm growing in my love for others, I'm going to be less irritated with my wife and kids or my mother-in-law, father-in-law, brother-in-law. Thanksgiving, right? Everybody? Yeah, okay. You had those experiences. If I'm growing in my love, if I'm growing in my ability to serve others, washing feet of dirt, you know, dirty feet of people, then that probably means I'm growing less easily irritated. So the kind of that overarching question, are you growing more or less easily irritated? You know, with people, with situations, over the last year, over the last five years, over the last 10 years, over the last 20 years, do you see yourself growing in how you respond to people who are irritating to you? Difficult people, people you find difficult to love, people that are your enemies. And again, you know, we just went through Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving and families often brings up some old relational kind of pains and wounds. And then we ask ourselves, am I growing? Am I growing in my ability to love people well? Not love in a fake way, but love genuinely, not just put up with them, but love them well. So I'm not going to put a scale up for this one, but evaluate yourself. Are you getting more or less easily irritated? with fill, ever, fill out whatever name in the blank you want to put in there. All right? The other question that I think encompasses them all is, am I growing more or less easily discouraged? What trips me up? Am I tripped up easier than I used to be? Whether it's persecution or pain or difficulty which Jesus predicted for his disciples, does that sidetrack me easier and more quickly than it used to? Or am I having kind of a strength of perseverance and joy in spite of difficulty that I think Jesus is talking about? You know, on this one, I, God has an ironic sense of humor because this morning, as I'm kind of finishing this up, I'm wanting to simply type out one half page of notes. That's all I was asking from God, for my printer to work out for one half page of notes, all right? I send this to my printer from my computer, wouldn't print. As a matter of fact, it has, you know, the printer with a list of things that is waiting to be printed, and all it said, error, 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 error. So I restarted the printer, restarted my computer, restarted the printer, restarted my computer. And I'm getting really easily discouraged right now and irritated at the printer manufacturer, whoever it is. And then I have to go to another computer in our house to try to, because I sent myself, you've done this before, I sent myself an email with this file to another computer so I could open that one up and print. That computer locks up on me. And it's like, and, I felt, and it was like kind of a microcosm of like God was saying, you know what? And, and, and I wasn't just mad at the printers. I mean, I was. Um, but when you have that kind of discouragement, I was mad. I was, something wasn't printed. It took me literally 20 minutes to print off half page. So I was a little frustrated. But I realized that my level of irritation... Something that printing on a printer should give about a 2 out of 10 irritation and discouragement. I was kind of reacting internally with about a 7. And I had to ask myself, where's the other 5 coming from? God, am I frustrated with you? Are, are you not making things work in my life that I thought that you are supposed to be doing for me? Am I frustrated with people? Where's the extra coming from? And again, that's part of my challenge is, is for you and myself included to ask, those, ask ourselves those questions. Where, 
when I find myself getting irritated, when I find myself getting discouraged by things that aren't going well, this happens, that happens, what are you going to do with that? And, where, and what do you do with that? Where is it coming from? And where is Jesus supposed to fit into that? Because then what you start feeling like, if you're like me, you start feeling like you're a failure. Okay, I'm really messing up now. I guess I'm not really doing what I... And then you stop. And I feel like, you know, even like this morning, I feel like God finally stopped me. It's like, you know, stop. Stop kind of going into this discouragement hole, and then you start beating yourself up because you feel discouraged. You know, you start getting discouraged that you're discouraged or irritated that you're irritated. All right? Because then I want us to... Because at this point, if that's all you do, then you're simply living kind of a legalistic Christianity because you're assuming that there's a standard of behavior, whether it's serving others, loving others, enduring persecution, having joy, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing poorly on all these or I'm not doing what I should do on all these so then I feel bad about myself. If I feel bad about, you know, all, the whole thing rolls. But I want to I go on with John, the passage of John because I want to go to John 17, which is the very last part. Because I want us to remind, I want you to remind, I want to remind all of us that in John 17, Jesus at the meal turns and starts praying for these men, his disciples, and he's praying for you and I. See, because he doesn't just set this standard of you've got to love each other, you've got to wash dirty feet, you're going to have abundant joy, people are going to hate you. You're going to have this incredible prayer life. You ask for anything in my name, and I'm going to do it for you. He doesn't just set this standard and then say, go do it. But then he models in John 17, not just a prayer that I believe he once prayed, but a prayer that I believe he continues to pray for you and I, and that Jesus is praying for me. He's praying for you. He prays for us. Right now, he's praying for you. Right now, he knows what discourages you. He knows what irritates you. He knows where you're failing, and he knows how you feel about where you're failing. He knows about where you're growing and how you feel about how you're growing. He knows your score, so to speak. But in John 17, Jesus prays for us, and these are all statements we've looked at the last few weeks, three things. He said, he, he's praying that you'll be safe from the evil one. And I mentioned that week that Jesus is not praying that God will keep us from pain and suffering. I mean, he just talked about persecution and some of them even dying a few chapters ahead of this. But he's praying that you and I will be safe from the way that Satan will want to dishearten and discourage you and paralyze you spiritually. Because that's where some of you are, and I've been there, we've all been there, we all will be there, where things are such... But that's what Jesus is praying for you right now. He knows if that's where you are. He knows if you're at a point of feeling disheartened to the point of quitting. He knows if you're appealing to a point of discouraged to the point of stalling. He knows if you're just sitting on this coast because I'm too cynical now about the church, about Jesus, about everything else. But he's praying for you that that won't happen. He's praying, he's asking God to guard your heart from that. So Jesus is praying for you right now. He's for you, he's not against you. That's one thing you realize from this whole meal encounter conversation that Jesus was for these men and he's for us, men and women, girls and boys. He's for us. He's not against us. Two other things he said, prayed. One, he prayed, he prays for these, his disciples, which is us. May they experience perfect unity. Perfect unity. He talks about oneness. Now those of you who are married right now, think about would you describe your marriage as perfect unity? 
If you do, you're lying, so we all know that. <laughs> Would you describe your relationship with your children or with your parents or with your friends or with your Christian friends or with other churches, other pastors? Would you describe that as perfect unity and oneness? And the sense there that Jesus is talking about, he likens it to the, the, to the unity he has with the Father and the Spirit where you sense there's just this overflowing of joy and energy and common purpose and delight. And you might be discouraged at those kind of relationships in your life because you're thinking, well, this should be better. This should, relationship should be better. And none of it's measuring up. And, I, and again, you get into this kind of self condemnation of I'm not doing well, we're not doing well, my relationships aren't doing well. But again, don't forget, Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for your marriage right now. He's praying for a relationship with your kids. He's praying for a relationship with your parents. He's asking the Father to infuse supernatural power into you through the Holy Spirit to bring life where there's pain, hope where there's despair. That's what he's doing right now. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. And then we talked about this last week, and this is the last one I'll mention from what Jesus is praying for. He's praying that you and I, he's asking God to make us holy. Anybody remember what I said, had the three-word definition of holy last week? Awake, alive, and free. I remember I said that we often think of holy being kind of pious, sour, and depressed, I don't know. But holy in the sense, the biblical sense, it means we're set apart, we're awake and alive and free to be used by God in whatever way he wants us to, full of joy, full of life, full of energy. And he's praying for you right now. So if you're feeling on the inside like it looks outside today, dreary, overcast, and a little bit cold, Jesus is praying for you right now. I mean, he's praying for all of us anyway. But he's praying for our holiness. He's not praying simply that we would be well-behaved children. Some of you, some of us grew up in churches where that was the definition of holiness. You're a well-behaved child. You, know, you do the right things, you don't do the wrong things. Yes, Jesus talks about obedience. He wants us to obey him. But Jesus is more passionate for us than simply being obedient people. He knows that obedience leads us to that point, but his passion for us is that we'd be alive, awake, and free. And that's what he's praying for us. Last thing I'll mention. This is the very end of John 17. So this is the very end of his prayer before they get up from the table. They go down the side of the mountain of Jerusalem. They go into the olive grove into Gethsemane where Jesus is eventually arrested. But the one line I want you to see on this, this is the very last line. It says, a righteous father, I have revealed you to them. And read this next line with me. And I will continue to do so. He said, I've revealed myself to these, your disciples, and I'm going to continue to reveal myself to us. Jesus is continuing to reveal himself. He's continuing to reveal the Father to each one of you and me. And he's saying that because then your love, Father, for me will be in them and I will be in them. See, Jesus is not finished with any one of us yet. He wasn't finished with these disciples. He didn't say, okay, finished my talk. Why don't you guys study my talk? over the next, you know, 2,000 years and hope you get it right eventually. Here's my instructions. No, he said, you know what, Father, I'm, I'm, I've revealed you to them and I'm going to continue to do so. I'm going to continue to do whatever I have to do, Father, to reveal your love for them to them so the love you have for me can be in them. 
and they can have these relationally alive lives, relationally full of energy, full of joy, full of forgiveness, full of boldness, full of integrity. That's what I want these people to be, Father, and that's what you gave them to me for, and I'm going to make sure they become these kind of people. Philippians 1, Paul says, uh, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus has not stopped working on your behalf. He's not stopped praying on your behalf. He's not stopped appealing with great passion to the Father for you. For you. Not just for the world, big, large concept, but for you. Fill in the blank with your name. For you. Jesus is praying for you. He's asking the Father to do things in you that you can't do on your own. And he says, I'm going to continue to do that because I want them to be so full of your love inside of them, God. So full of your life, your joy, your power, your passion that I will not stop praying for them. All right? Jesus, Jesus' sacrifice for us was a once-for-all sacrifice. And then it says Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. He didn't sat down and now has a passive life. He sat down next to the Father because he wants to continue to intercede for us. And so when you think about this talk he gives to the disciples, and he tells them and he shows them, I'm praying for you, I'm going to keep praying for you. Um, that's us. And back to the question of how, do you, how are you doing? Here, here's what I ask you to do sometime in the next week. Simply, maybe ask Jesus the question. This is the last thing I'll say here. Ask Jesus. Jesus, how do you think I'm doing? Jesus, how do you think I'm doing? You, you've kind of set the standard and you know what life with God is like, but how do you think I'm doing? I don't know. How, let Jesus respond to you, whether it's some kind of internal prompting. Probably not going to show up in the sky with handwriting. But if you ask him, I'm confident Jesus will tell you. And he's probably not going to wag his finger at you and yell at you like a, like a dog who's used the bathroom on the carpet. Although we think sometimes that's how God must feel about us. But he's praying for you. He's interceding for you that you would be full of the life of God inside of you. If we take communion every week at Exodus to remind us that we, it's not about our energy, our willpower, or anything else.